0: clicker so here we are the last sermon of our it's not the last sermon ever but but, um, I know people got a little excited like the last sermon yes this is the last sermon he's ever going to preach no the last sermon of our series in first Thessalonians um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 23 through 28. Let's pray before we start, though. Lord, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the gathering of the saints this morning who have come to lift up your name, to magnify the name of Jesus Christ, to hear from you. And we have now come to the place of our worship, where we hear from your word, so we humbly submit ourselves, our minds, our spirit before you so that your spirit can teach us the truth that is in your word. So Lord, Lord, lead us into truth. Um, Use the power of your spirit and your word to conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So. I did a a calculation of how long we've been in 1 Thessalonians. Um, By my count, and it's it's an approximate count because I can't go back that far, about 35 Sundays, 35 weeks approximately. We have studied this church in Thessalonica as Paul writes his first letter to them. And I don't know, at some point in time, maybe right, even right now, you're asking, why do we spend so much time? Why is it that we spend 35 weeks out of, I don't know, the 40-something that I've been here, maybe about 42 weeks in total that I've been here, um, give or take, Why have we been studying this church? The reason is because God has spoken to his church through his word. God has spoken to his church in his word. And in our text today, we, we might even find where we get that model from. As Paul says in verse 27, I implore you by the Lord... To so have this letter read to all the brothers but if we aspire to be true believers true disciples and if we aspire to be a faithful church we need to consider his word seriously that's why we begin our service by the reading of his word and we pray through the word Then we sing according to his word. And then we read his word again in our scripture reading. And we pray again. And then we learn from his word by the sermon through the sermon. Because if we are to be true believers, if we want to be true disciples in a faithful church, we need to consider God's word seriously. Because if I asked you right now, do you really want to be a true disciple? Do you want to be considered as a true believer or do you want to be considered as a false one or a mediocre one? Nobody would ever take the latter one, I'm sure. I'm willing to put money on it even though we're not supposed to gamble, right? That's a joke. I see a couple of people laughing. Thank you for humoring me. I'll be here all week. Well, I won't be, but I'll be back next week. But if we want to be a blessed church, if we want to be that if we if our aspiration is to be faithful christians a faithful church and faithful believers we need to consider god's word seriously and therefore we have been in this epistle looking at the church trying to identify with the church of thessalonica and trying to learn what God has spoken to that church and through that how he's speaking to our church and he has done so and people have been convinced of truth and con- convinced of, 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 of sin or convicted of sin throughout our time together. So here we are in these final verses where Paul gives his final benediction his final blessing his final prayer if you will let us look at the text together and then let's see what the Lord would bless us with this morning 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 to 28 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely And may your spirit and your soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I implore you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord. Jesus Christ be with you. And this is what he writes. This is how he finishes his letter. See, our Christian life is lived in attention. Your Christian life is lived in attention. If you are a believer, if you have confessed that only the the life and, and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is what gives you eternal life and you've placed your trust in him and repented from your sin, then you are saved. You are considered immediately as a saint. Not that the saint that the the, the churches would give and say, oh, you know what, this guy gave so much for the and then this is a saint this and saint that. Not that kind of sainthood, but being sanctified, being separated from the world and being plugged into, uh, transplanted into the kingdom of God. So that makes you automatically a sanctified being. Yet, you live in the world. Yet, you have worries. Yet, you have anxieties. Yet, you struggle with sin. Yet, you struggle with lust. Yet, you struggle with physical element even and this there's this tension between who we truly are in Christ and what our real, what the reality of the world is this is where we what the church is this is where we are this is where your life is and you struggle through that Yes, you're sanctified, but Paul here is praying for the church to be sanctified. May the Lord himself, may the God of peace himself, he says, sanctify you entirely. So there's a level of sanctification which you have, that we all have, where God takes us from being dead in our trespasses and sins and makes us alive in Christ, So we are separated, but yet there's a continual process of sanctification that's happening. So, in Paul's farewell or his benediction to the Thessalonian church, we'll find three hallmarks that he describes, that he identifies for the church to be a blessed church. That he prays for two things and he asks the church for one or reminds of the church of one. And this is what I wanted to do this morning with us. I want to challenge you with those two prayers of sanctification and preservation. We need to be challenged to see how we are to be sanctified and and how we are to be preserved but i also want to show you how we should remain in the grace of Christ Jesus so as Paul prays look down with me to verse 23 he begins saying, now may, God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Paul is praying, he's, he's expressing his desire for the church to be sanctified. To be separated from sin. To be separated from the world. To be dedicated to God. To be devoted to a holy lifestyle? Let me ask you this. Do you want to be separated from sin? Do you want to be separated from the world? Do you want to have a life that is devoted and dedicated to God? Should that do you want to have that lifestyle? That's a prayer that we should pray for ourselves. We should pray that for, that's our wish for the church. This is why we've been learning and studying the first Thessalonian church. Or the Thessalonian church. Because this is a hallmark of a blessed church. If we want to be a blessed church, we must be sanctified. It's a blessing to be a sanctified church, isn't it? Isn't it a blessing for someone to look at you and say, wow, there is something distinct about this person. Isn't it a blessing for someone to walk into our congregation this morning for the first time and actually say, there is something, this this church has been so blessed by God. Wouldn't you want that? I think that's a desire of all churches. And that needs to be the hallmark of our church. So we come alongside with Paul and say, now may the God of peace himself sanctify us. Because this is where we go. Because notice here, it's not the church that is sanctifying itself. It's not us that are making ourselves being separated from sin or separated from work, from, from the world, or we're not the ones that are super dedicated to God by our own power, because, I mean, just search your life. Search your heart. Search your calendars. Search your contacts and your text messages or your DMs. Because if it's up to us, Our lives are not really as devoted to God as we really want it to be. And praise God for that, because if it were up to us, we fail miserably. This is why Paul directs us to look straight up for our sanctification. Paul doesn't say, now may you sanctify yourself entirely. He says, may the God of peace himself Sanctify you entirely. Now, there may be some pushback on your mind and your hearts, but I do these things, Manny. I, I do pray, I do read, and I, I try my best to, to dedicate my life and devote my life to the, to the Lord and to godliness and to godly living. I don't curse, you know, I try not to look, look at um, things to, on my phone that are not appropriate. I even limit my my movie intake to, and in my Netflix um, intake to like, you know, PG-13 or something. I don't even watch R-rated movies. I try to sanctify myself, right? But notice what he says. God himself sanctify you, not partially, but entirely. Some translations have it, holy not h-o-l-y but w-h-o-l-l-y the whole thing is being sanctified so you might try to partially sanctify yourself or even for a moment live a life of sanctification but what god does for the church the blessing that the church receives from god is to be sanctified entirely Not just in this quantity, but uh, not just in this quality, but also in this quantity. He saves us. He sanctifies us wholly. All things considered. That's a blessing. That we don't have to sanctify ourselves. It is God who sanctifies us. Remember the Lord's Prayer in in our scripture reading today in John 17 and verse 17. The Lord prays for his disciples that, that the Father would sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify the disciples by the truth. And what is the truth? We don't have to wonder, we'll make it up, or try to figure it out on our own. He says it right there Your word is truth. So it's a blessing to have God Himself sanctifying us by His will and by His power completely in perfection. That's a hallmark of a blessed church. Now, when you hear me say this, this doesn't exempt you from obedience to his will. This doesn't o- exclude you or exempt you from your responsibility to be obedient to his will and to and, and to his guidance. Remember, we saw last week you look up to verse 19, do not quench the spirit. The Spirit needs to be the one guiding you as you live the life of sanctification. Don't quench it. Don't put the the fire out of the Spirit. Nor do not despise prophecies. Don't hold God's word in contempt as He's speaking to you. That's your responsibility. So there is a part that you do play. You are responsible. It is God who's sanctifying us completely. And he is the one that's sanctifying the church entirely. But we need to be responsible. We do have responsibility. Just because he does so, it doesn't discount the fact that we are, it doesn't exempt you from being responsible in obedience. So we as a church must recognize the blessedness that we have in Christ. So here's my first challenge. Do you realize that your life has been bought by the precious blood of Christ, and that sanctifies you from the rest of the world that is unbelieving? I mean, we sang about it. Think it was in the second verse of In Christ Alone, or is it in the third verse? Bought with the precious blood of Christ, right? We sang about it. Do you realize the blessedness of that status that you have? And if, if he paid for you for your life by his blood, then he will continue to sanctify you entirely. And this is the prayer of Paul for the church. This is blessedness. Second part of the the challenge is understanding that God is the one Himself sanctifying the church to live accordingly. To live as one who is being sanctified by God Himself. By live, I mean by the way that we behave, the way that we talk to one another, the way that we do all things. That's the first challenge based on that first hallmark. He then prays in verse 23. Not only he asked for God to sanctify the church entirely, but he also prays for the church to be preserved. And may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete. He prays that the church would have this second hallmark, which is to be preserved. You know what being preserved means? Some of you might even be eating some preserved food when you get home from last night that you put in your fridge and you know it's there and you trust your fridge to keep it cool and and fresh so that whenever you, you get to it you open it up and it's right there. Right? So we know the idea of preservation. It's ironic because the first century church did not have fridges but they did have the The ability to preserve things and mostly they use salt to preserve things what did Jesus say that we are to this world we are the salt of this world and we are not to lose our taste because then we become worthless but I also want you to notice The passive voice in that verse. May your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved. It's passive. You notice that? That's a passive verb. For you grammar geeks, you know what it means, right? If you're a grammar geek like me, you kind of pick up on it. We had Bible study this this weekend, and I was so stuck at one word, one verb I was stuck at, talking about the... The, the reality of, uh, of Christ's death. It was a Roman centurion in, in, um, in Luke was it Luke 16 or was it no not Luke 16 Luke 24 I believe yeah yeah that saw Jesus and becomes converted or at least acknowledges that he is the Son of God but in his acknowledgement there was one verb that was there that spoke of Christ's real death and that verb was was he says he was the son of god indicating that jesus has passed away that past tense but i digress and come back to this verb That says, be preserved is a passive verb. That indicates that the church does not preserve itself. You do not preserve yourself. I do not have the capacity to preserve myself. If you don't believe me, go home, find an album if you still have an album or maybe it's on your wall somewhere. Or maybe just go through your photo, your camera roll, and just scroll up to the, the very first picture that you ever took with your smartphone, phone. I guarantee you, you do not look the same. Your facial features have, have not been preserved. You're, you're going to look a little older, a little more mature, to put it mildly. Right, We do not have the ability to preserve ourselves. So Paul says, may God himself sanctify you, but also may you be preserved. See, the problem that we have in our church, not just in our church, but in our time, is that we think that we can preserve ourselves by our own will, and by our own schemes, by our own cleverness. So we try to come up with creative ways, dynamic ways to make sure that everybody's engaged in this, that, and the third, so that we can, we can preserve something that is not even ours to begin with. We, we know that our artificial preservatives actually are to be avoided, right? We might even spend more money going to Whole Foods so that we can buy organic food that's going to be healthier for us than going to your other grocery stores and buying artificially preserved foods because we know that's not good for us. If we are so concerned about what we put in our body, How much more should we be concerned about our souls? So we can't, by our own will and cleverness, preserve ourselves. The church is preserved by the same God who sanctifies it. The same God who saves you, the same God who sanctifies you, is the same God who preserves you. Here's what this preservation means. To preserve means to watch over. It includes all of these features to rule over, to observe, to, to ward off, to guard, and to keep, and to defend. So when Paul is saying, May your spirits, and soul, and body, be preserved he's saying may your spirit your soul and your body be protected by God may it be ruled by God may it be watched over by God may it be defended may it be kept by God that's what he's saying what a blessed prayer that is for the church isn't it To know that God himself is so concerned about the price that he paid for your life that he actually wards off the very bad, evil schemes of the enemy that are coming at you even right now. That he is so concerned about your life individually that he will watch over you he will defend you, he will protect you, he will keep you, he will ward off things that are not beneficial for you. But he will also rule over you. He wants to rule over you and to lead you into goodness and kindness and and godliness and Christ-likeness. And he's also observing the church. He's watching us. He's observing how we are engaging with one another. That's the preservation is, right? There's a way that you kind of make sure every so often you don't just leave something in the fridge and just forget about it. You ever done that before? I've done that multiple times. You put it in there and then you cook something else new and you put it in there and you just push everything back, back, back. And you don't observe what's in there. What usually happens? The thing that you put in three months ago, even though it's in the fridge, it's spoiled. It's starting to smell bad. And you wonder, every time you open the fridge, it smells like somebody died in there. Or something died in there. But the preservation of the Lord is such that he observes, he watches over, not only just watching over as an an observer, as a passive observer, but he's actively involved in protecting and leading and guiding and, and warding off and keeping you. What a blessed reality that is. He watches over us, he rules over us, he protects us but not just physically, right? Because most of us are preserved physically here. I'm looking, and I mean, from from what I can see, everybody seems to be in good health, generally speaking, right? You're able to, to actually breathe without having any difficulty of breathing. You're able to move around. Very minimal difficulty. I'm just including myself because every time I move around I have some some joint that hurts comes with age I guess thank you for humoring me I guess some of you laughed because you thought it was a joke but anyways but we're we're not being preserved physically you're sitting here because God preserved your life tens of thousands of people die every minute I failed to to go into my stat box and and pull out the stat for you. But I know it's tens of thousands of people. I die daily. But you're here because God preserved you physically. You are able to be engaged in this conversation that we're having and this teaching that the Lord is doing to you mentally because your minds are preserved by God. Now, you may not grasp everything, and you may not know the very meaning of every word that I say or every word that I would use, but still, generally speaking, you can listen and understand because your minds are being preserved by God. And you're not in spiritual, or I hope, you're not in a spiritual place where whereby you are being tormented spiritually because God has preserved you spiritually it's not just one of those things it's all of those things not just spiritually not just physically not just emotionally but God preserves us in all things that's why Paul says he will pres- you will be preserved complete You notice the repetitive nature of what he's saying? He sanctifies you entirely, and he preserves you to be complete. And if you didn't know what complete is, here's what completes you, your mind, your body, and your spirit. Spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Not just in this realm, by the way. But it is to be without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Even to the end of time, you are being preserved. You're not just being preserved for July 16th to 2023. You're being preserved for eternity. You're being preserved for when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And this is a theme that Paul refers to to the Thessalonian church over and over and over again because he doesn't want him to forget that we do live in this tension between Jesus coming to save us and sanctify us once and for all by his work at the cross, right? But there is an eminent of him coming back and between that, that's where the church is. That's where we live, that tension that we talked about. He doesn't want us to forget That we we are in that tension, and we are being preserved until that day. That when he returns or calls us home, until he returns or calls us home, we sang about that too, right? Here we are. We stand in Christ alone. Here in his love, here in his grace. We stand this is the blessing of the church Paul prays for and before we move to the to the next hallmark I want to emphasize what Paul emphasizes here in verse 24 this is a really pivotal point I don't want us to miss I don't want you to miss this because this is this is not just a an apostolic wishful desire for the church What Paul prays for is anchored in the very nature of God. Look down with me to verse 24. When Paul says, May may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May the spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not saying that because this is what his wish list is. He is saying that, anchored in what he says in verse 24 faithful is he who calls you who also will do it it's anchored in the nature of God in his nature that is immutable in his unchangeable nature this God the God of peace he does not change he's immutable which makes him not change his mind. He doesn't change his mind. He's not a whimsical God. He is faithful. So Paul's argument is that, that the one who calls you, he says, will also do it. His argument is, if he calls you, he will sanctify you. If he calls you, he will preserve you. And I found it interesting in the Greek, actually, the the word for call and the word for Christ, I mean, not Christ, the church. The word for church is ekklesia, which is a compound word between ek and kaleo, which means out and call called out and here he uses the word call kaleo so if God has called you out to be a part of his church he will preserve you he will preserve his church he will sanctify his church because he is the one who kaleo you out of the world called you out of the world and if he does Then he will do it. Do you remember God as he led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness through Moses? Right? You know the story. You've been to um, Sunday school, right? And then they're going and then. They stop in the wilderness at the foot of a mountain. And God calls Moses up to the mountain to give him his law. And Moses takes forever. Well, seemingly forever. It's only 40 days that he was up there receiving from God direction. Do you remember what the people down at the bottom were doing? They were getting antsy they wanted to to preserve themselves they wanted to sanctify themselves they wanted to be more religious and they said you know what i don't know where this guy moses is he took us out and he left us it's been it's been ages since he left and and we need to 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 do something to sanctify ourselves we need to, to do something that would preserve us oh yeah i know what to do we need to worship that's what it looks like right that's that's what we need to do that's that's the godly thing to do okay all right Um, what's your name Aaron come back come on come over here here make us an image and we're gonna be super generous there's no online giving where people brought so much gold they even had offerings They brought all the gold, and they they put it at his feet, and then he put it in fire, and he designed it, and then then he designed it and fashioned it to look like a calf, golden calf. And they put it up there, and everybody looked upon the calf and said, Here, O Israel, here is Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who delivered you. And everybody bowed down as, ironically, as they're doing that. Moses is coming down the mountain, and God sees this. Remember, God observes. He sees over. He watches over his people. Right? He's watching this, and Moses is coming down, and God sees this, and his anger is kindled against his people. And he tells Moses, let me lose. I find that very funny. The God of the universe, the almighty God talking to this mumbling guy who can't even form sentences. And, you know, he's so shy if you know the story of Moses, right? And he didn't even make it. He tells him, hey, let me lose, let me go. You know, kind of like, you know, you're fighting against somebody and you're like, let me go, don't don't let me go, I'm going to get him, kind of thing. I find that to be very ironically funny so that I, my anger can burn against them and, and destroy this people. Do you remember what Moses' prayer was? Moses could have easily said, by the way, as in the realm of possibility, I was like, all right, cool, because I know you can raise up a whole new nation from the rocks that are, that, that are left behind from the people that you just destroyed, and then still lead them to the promised land. God could have done that. God could have chosen another one. He could have made another one. He'll be well within his rights. Do you remember what Moses appealed to? Moses appealed to God's faithfulness. Not God had to be reminded about him being faithful. because God doesn't forget who he is and what he has promised. But Moses appeals to his faithfulness. Say, Lord, remember the covenant that you've made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God relented. It says, "Doesn't mean that God changed his mind." God remained faithful to the covenant. That's who God is. That's what our sanctification and our preservation is anchored on. Not your faithfulness. Not my faithfulness. Not the faithfulness of of the Israelites. It's God's own faithfulness to his own will. If he calls you, he will do it. It is God who called the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he called them into the promised land. And despite their disobedience and their rebellion and their struggle, he led them into the promised land. What greater covenant you and I have in Christ Jesus That he calls us out of the darkness of the world, out of the pit of our grave, when we were sinless, dead in our trespasses and sins. And causes us to be alive in Christ. That's where it's anchored. I say all of that, I wanted us to focus on this because we don't, I don't want us to depend on our own means of sanctification like the Israelites did. Don't depend on your own means of preservation. See, the world tries to sanctify and preserve itself by means of, you know, generous donations. Christmas time, end of year, giving. I mean, millionaires. Even people that are are not millionaires, they give to charitable donations, right? so that they can feel like they've done something. So they can preserve themselves by, by, by political or, or social activism, or by adopting to a philosophy of false tolerance, or even false religion, because we are seeking to sanctify and preserve ourselves The world is at least the world around us by coming up with these things you know if we don't drive electric cars you know the world's going to end in 2050 so hey everybody line up and buy a Tesla or uh, whatever other electric vehicles there is because you know we can't we can't keep it going at this rate you know if we don't do this and now again there's nothing inherently evil about that but it's It's them seeking to preserve life more. And coming up with all these schemes to preserve it. But if there's anything that has told us that our means of preservation is so, so fragile, just look back two years before, or three years now, right? March of 2020, your whole life as you knew it stopped. Some people even passed away. The entire world was under lockdown, except for a few nations here and there. Just because of a microscopic virus. So that we can preserve ourselves and everything else. We got to do this and, you know, six feet apart, mask, double mask, shield, wash your hands until your skin turns red, whatever. Preserve your life. And even people that went through all of that still didn't preserve their lives. Some of them didn't because it's so fragile. So don't depend on the means of worldly sanctification or preservation. Paul is not depending on that when he talks about the blessings for the church. Paul is depending on the faithfulness of God who calls you. You can't trust current trends. You can't even keep up with the, the lingo of, of, of the world, right? I have yet to think of a Gen Z term, I know. You guys who are looking forward to it. But those th- those things change. They don't remain the same. And then the, the generation after you, two years from now, you use the same word today. You're going to be like, oh, that's so 2023. What are you talking about? You can't trust the current trends. You can't trust human means of sanctification and preservation. You cannot trust them because they don't remain the same. There's no faithfulness built into them on which you can rely. Everything and everyone changes. But for us, for you, who are called out by Christ from the world into his kingdom, we can trust in his faithfulness. That's where we anchor our sanctification and preservation on. That's the hallmark of a blessed church. That's what the, the, the hallmarks anchor themselves in. Therefore, we depend on His means of grace. You notice how Paul finishes in verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Go back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 1. How does he greet the church? This is him saying bye. And chapter 1, verse 1, this is him saying hi. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he say? Grace to you and peace. Do you see the same two words? Grace and peace, even in his farewell address to them so to speak he starts with grace and he finishes with grace so we depend on the means of grace which is really the third hallmark here are the means of grace if you are taking notes the means of grace prayer in, in no particular order but I'm going to give you an order that it's it's in this in this in, in this verse or in this passage There's prayer there's fellowship there's scripture reading and there's the sacraments which is baptism and and the Lord's Supper these are the means of grace the means by which God dispenses his grace the grace of Jesus Christ to his church so Paul just rattles off these, these means of grace right there, and starting in verse 20, 25. Brothers, pray for us. He emphasizes prayer first. Not just for themselves, but for one another. Even to the leaders. He says, pray for us. This is an apostle that, that has come to, to a city, planted a church, and led the church to Christ, and, and got them together and left, and he's, the apostle is asking you to pray for, for him? Yes, the church is known by its prayer life. If you want to remain blessed, your prayer life needs to be active, not just individually, but also as a church. We need to pray. This is why when we gather together corporately, we start off by reading the word and then praying. And then singing and reading the word again. And then we pray again. And then we sing again. And then we, right before we start a sermon, we pray again. And after the sermon, what do we do? We pray. Prayer is an integral part of God's way of His means of grace power is transferred it's a spiritual conversation that we're having secondly it's his fellowship look at look at what he says not only pray for us in verse 26 he says greet all the brothers with a holy kiss he's not just saying say hi and then kind of just do the dap that we uh, that I that I taught um, somebody in here right or are like hugging each other, and that's not, that's not all, he's, all he means. I think he means more than that. This is a fellowship, a genuine unity filled by this welcome and embrace, filled with real affection, real care for one another, real kindness towards one another, that kind of fellowship, that kind of greeting one another. He calls this kind of affection to the church that shows to one another to be a holy kiss. You know, no kind of pretense. Not that you just, like the little, it's like, not not false fellowship. And here's the challenge for our church, for our time. We need to stop the cap, right? Stop the cap. I heard this week. We need to stop pretending as if we are, we love one another and really love one another. We need to engage in a way with one another, not trying to finesse one another to believe as if we are more spiritual than we appear to be trying to trick one another, but a real kind of care that is followed up by real acts of love. That's the kind of fellowship that is the means of grace. And prayer and fellowship need to be informed by faithful reading of the Scripture. This is why he says in verse 27, I implore you by the Lord to have this letter read to all brothers. How do you know that your prayer life is actually pleasing to God? How do you know that you're actually praying rightly? Or your fellowship is meets the standard of God, or you're just capping? How do you know? If you're, the word of God, if if the if the faithful reading of Scripture doesn't inform your fellowship and your prayer, you can't know. So unless the Scriptures are read, we're really left to our own imagination, kind of like the people of Israel. Let's just imagine, oh, what's the one thing that that was so uh, that was so powerful and important for our life and our time? Oh. Half, You know, that's it. Let's build that. And that's what we want to pray to. So we end up being these idolaters who build God up if we don't read the scriptures. And our prayers just become a bunch of wish lists. God, I want to have A's in my class. God, I want to have the job that I want. God, I want to have this... And if God doesn't give me the, 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 the relationship that I want or, or the grades that I want or, or the things that I prayed for, then God is non-existent, so I'll walk away because I've created God in my own image, not the other way around. So if we don't read the Scriptures, there is a danger that we are left to our own imaginative prayers and we have no standard to measure our fellowship by. How do I know I'm really relating to my brothers? How do I know I'm really loving you and you're really loving me? Unless I find what that looks like in scripture. Because I can set my own standards and just say, you know what? Whatever. If they don't call me, I don't call them back. I treat them with the same energy they treat me. Then I become my own standard. If there's no means of grace by by the reading of scripture. Lastly, Christ being with the church in his sacraments, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper, is a means of grace for the church to remain blessed. That's why he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with you, and the grace is dispensed by Jesus himself being there with us, right? We are our union with Christ. That's what baptism signifies. We're declaring that we are being united in Christ's death and his resurrection. And every time that we partake from the Lord's table, like we did last week, and Lord willing, we'll do that again next month. Every time that we do so, we're reminded that we are being united. We're eating his body and we're drinking his blood. And this is what we are united with. He is with us forever until the day he comes. This is what he says, until I come, do this in remembrance of me that's the means of grace being dispensed to us but none of us can wholly sanctify ourselves none of us can preserve our spiritual or mental or emotional or physical lives even worse we naturally lack the ability or the willingness to pray we we lack the willingness to engage in real christian fellowship Right. As soon as we pray, and this is what's going to happen. I know know this is what's going to happen, and I'm not like browbeating you by saying this, but this is what usually happens. We end the sermon, we pray, we have the song of response, and then we say the blessings and the benediction, and then you're dismissed, and everybody just goes into their own corners. Right? Because we like, we, we lack the uh, an ability and the willingness to, to engage in real Christian fellowship at times. That doesn't mean that you're doing that as sin, but I'm just saying, if, if the reason for that is undergirded by sin, I want to challenge that among us today. Undergirded by, by fear, or undergirded by anxiety, if that's why we do the things we do, then we might have to reconsider. But having said that, we, lack, we do lack the ability to do that, the willingness to do that, or study the scripture. And the reason for that is because we are enemies of God naturally. By nature, we were enemies of God. But thanks be to God, the God of peace. Who reconciles us to himself while we're yet sinners? Christ dies for us to reconcile us back to the Father, to sanctify us wholly, entirely. He preserves us not just in this life but in the life to come. And He gives us His grace and His power to pray. To him to enjoy this beautiful fellowship among brothers and he guides us. he guides us by his Word and his presence what a glorious blessing that is that you and I share and if you're here and you have been resistant to believing and trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I invite you to put your faith in Him and be partaker of this blessing. And if you find yourself in a, in a state of um, being backslidden or being a backslider, I challenge you this morning or this afternoon now, right, to take hold of this blessing. if you are on the journey of being sanctified I encourage you to remain steadfast in this blessing because this is who we are a blessed Church let's pray father we are so thankful that you've known us even before the foundation of the world That you've set us apart, not because of our own merit, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Who was poured out for our sin and transgression. Through whom we have salvation sanctification and preservation and through whom we come to you to receive the grace that is necessary for us to be not only be saved but to be sanctified and preserved Lord all of it begins and ends with you you are the anchor of our lives we ask you Lord to continue to sanctify us as a church and as individuals within the church to preserve us spirit mind and body until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ to continue to pour out your grace upon us so that we may continue to pray for one another to love one another to have true fellowship with one another and also to trust and study your word and to partake in your presence among us so we ask you Lord to do so according to your will and according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray Amen.